Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. we got another great show for you today. We're breaking down one of the best farm systems in baseball, the Detroit Tigers. And to do that, we are joined by Emily Walden. Emily did the Tigers top 10 for us. She has covered the Tigers minor leaguers for years. We were happy to bring her on board this year. Emily, the Tigers are still in the midst of what is becoming a lengthy rebuild. They finished last in the American League Central for the second straight year. Obviously, this was a pandemic-shortened season. They were competitive for the first month or so, but went 6-19 and down the stretch to finish in last place. They do get another high draft pick. They've been collecting those in recent years. When you look at the Tigers as a whole, the big league team, the top 10 in this system, how do you kind of assess where they are? Because we've started to see some of the prospects come up, namely Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal this year, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And I think no matter what Tigers fan you talk to, it's not resolved yet, but I think everybody would agree with the fact that we are seeing actual progress. Um, And the system as a whole is still what I'd refer to as pitching heavy. I know we've talked on Casey Mize, talked on Tarek Skubal, um, some other names too that are obviously going to be worth watching in the years to come. But I think the most probably enticing aspect of this rebuild has been the Tigers' recent turn to focusing on position players. Um, As an organization, they've always been known for having a soft spot for big, hard-throwing SEC pitchers. And I mean, everybody wants those arms in their system, if we're being honest. But I think the fact that you're starting to see Al Avila and his team be more purposeful, specifically with the 2020 draft class, which, as we all know, was a very unique class in and of itself, you saw more focus on filling some of those gaps positionally. And I think it's really going to pay dividends into the direction they're heading with this rebuild. Yeah, it's a good point you make there because you look at some of the players on the position side where you can say we can build with this guy. It's mostly guys they acquired in trades. There's not many homegrown position players here. Jaimer Candelario had a very, very nice year. Again, 52 games. You don't want to go too crazy, but he was acquired from the Cubs in a trade. Willie Castro looked absolutely fantastic after he came up. He was acquired from the Indians in a trade. Victor Reyes was the top pick in the Rule 5 draft a few years ago. He's done some nice things. So there are some position players to work with, but you're right. They're almost exclusively guys who were acquired and brought in from the outside. This year with the number one overall pick, they took Spencer Torkelson, who was pretty much the wire-to-wire number one overall pick. Obviously, the college season was shut down early, but this is someone dating back not, not just to last summer, but for years has been targeted as the top guy in this draft class. The Tigers picked him very, very quickly. When you were putting the rankings together, how clear was it that he's number one? Because again, you have Casey Mize, who's a number one overall pick. Tariq Skubal was one of the best pitchers in the minors last year and made his debut. Even guys like Matt Manning and Riley Green, people consider to be really, really elite prospects. Yeah, that was one that I think you and I can, can both attest to the fact that no matter how you put your list together, there's always going to be people who say, well, I would have done this differently. But with the way that the Tigers have gone with this rebuild, um, with the names that they've acquired recently, I think with Torkelson, you're seeing such a well-rounded prospect package um, from his different tools to um, just the, the raw power that he has, I think is so exciting 
specifically for an organization that really does um, crave to have that lineup bolstered a little bit because you you're moving away from the days of the Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera who is you know unfortunately kind of coming near the end of his career and you're seeing the need for filling some of those holes and I think with a guy like Torkelson the most interesting part for me is where they decide to put him in the infield um, I know there's been talk of Will he stay at first base? They announced him as a third baseman, but then that draws the question, how will they shift those pieces around to make room for him as he continues to sort of find himself in the minors? So I think a lot of different um, interesting aspects there. And I think what the scouts have said is the hype is real. The hype is something that everyone should be paying attention to because this is a guy who gets it. He's got a great head on his shoulders, extremely mature, and he's going to be wa worth watching in the years to come. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, how the scouts, for the most part, have been very, very favorable. I made an effort to talk to some West Coast cross-checkers and national evaluators who, generally speaking, are more skeptical of guys. I really made an effort to try and find someone who I know in the past has been a little lighter on top-level guys who have a lot of hype, just to see what they would say about Torkelson. And it was incredible praise all the way around. This was someone that... Scouts felt not only have the tremendous raw power, but a really, really advanced feel as a hitter. He controls the strike zone. There's great barrel control and hand-eye coordination. The bat speed is there. This isn't home run walk strikeout guy. This guy can actually hit. And I thought it was just really, really impressive the types of players they were comparing him to. The type of guys who, yes, hit 30 home runs, 40 home runs, but also hit 270, 280, 290 doing it. Yeah, it's something where I think we, we've also learned just watching guys who come out of, out of the college scene with so much praise behind them and so many accomplishments. We really get to see what a big factor it is from how these guys transition to the minor league organization that they go to because you, you talk to any college guy and they're going to tell you the minors bring a whole new set of challenges and a whole new um, sense of having to adapt to your surroundings and seeing how well your skill set can translate. And some of the favorite things that I had from scouts about Torkelson is what a cool head he has. Um, they've seen him work under pressure. They've seen him work against higher level talent. And they said, what you see is what you get with him. He's the same guy. He goes out with the same approach, doesn't get shaken easily. And you see a guy who's mentally in a place to see what he's um, capable of doing once he really gets started in the minors. There's no question. The jump from college to professional baseball is enormous. And so much of what drives success is makeup, is having the right head on your shoulders, to use your phrase. And by all accounts, he has it. Now, I will say that while there was universal praise for who he is as a hitter and universal praise for his makeup, it was also universal that he's going to play first base, even though they announced him as a third baseman. There are some out there who say, you know, he's athletic enough. You could put him in left field if necessary, but it's going to be for the most part first base. I would definitely agree with you on that. And if for anyone who's not as familiar with the Tigers organization, they are screaming for first baseman. Uh, Miguel Cabrera was the guy for the longest time, but in my opinion, moving more towards trying to utilize his bat and have to get some, you know, fresh blood in the infield, so to speak. You, you have to put him there. If you're the Tigers, you really have to put him there. Give him some chance to get his feet wet. 
help him sort of learn the flow of it at the minor league level. And then as he continues to work his way back up, because I think with the Tigers, they've got enough selection now in the infield to where they could shift a guy or two around um, between a Jamer Candelario, Isaac Paredes, um, having those types of guys where you can sort of shift and see how they work. But you've got to have that type of a guy at first base because this is a guy that you build around, and I think they made the right pick with him. Yeah, again, still has yet to play a professional game. There's a long, long history of guys who look great and then then something goes sideways. So you never know, but it was notable to me just how many people felt very, very confident that Spencer Torkelson will be the type of player he's projected to be. Again, the track record is there. The tools are there. The makeup is there. Checks every box you want to see. There were some really, really interesting discussions beyond number one. Again, as you mentioned, there are other people who would say someone else could be number one. But to me, the debate really begins here at number two. And Tariq Skubal versus Casey Mize is very, very interesting. Casey Mize was the first overall pick in 2018, pitched in the SEC, all the lights on him. Everyone knew who he was. On the other hand, you have Tariq Skubal, who was a ninth rounder from a mid-major program and kind of came out of nowhere and ended up pitching neck and neck with Mize at AA. They both reached the majors in 2020. And while both had their struggles, comparatively, Skubal pitched better than Mize. What was the debate like and the discussion like with these two? And ultimately, what put Skubal ahead? Was it just the major league stint or was there more to it? There was definitely more to it. And I, I remember speaking with one scout specifically, and he goes, you know, he said, if I'm the Tigers, this is the type of problem I want to have. What, what is the, what's the, the odds of pitting this guy against this guy and actually having legitimate talent to have these debates about? Instead of seeing the clear-cut order, you actually have options. and You have names you could slot in and out. And the biggest thing that really stood out about Scooball compared to Mize was scouts who I spoke with agreed that they could see more durability in what they saw from Scooball than what they saw from Mize. And while Mize's overall pitch mix is extremely impressive, um, when it's on, it's, it's some of the sharpest stuff that you'll see in the organization, there are still some health concerns. Um, he had a bit of a challenge when he was still in college with being able to go the distance. Um, there was some concerns on, I believe it was, it was either his shoulder or his elbow. And then he ran into a bit more of that once he reached double A Erie to where it, it was enough to where the Tigers said, okay, we need to slow him down a little bit. You don't want to overwork him. He's a top pick, big investment. And so I think they made the right call to sort of cool his heels a little bit, give him a chance to rest, sort of recollect himself. And you saw some good stuff from him when, when he was able to move a little bit further ahead. But I think overall big picture with Scooball, you see a guy who can go the distance. He's a proven innings eater, and he has a pitch mix to back that up. Yeah, Scooball had a higher strikeouts per nine in his first major league stint than Mize. He had fewer walks per nine. The ERA was lower. A lot of good things. Again, we're talking about seven starts for each of them and the history of pitchers who come up have a difficult time their first seven, eight, nine, ten starts, or in some cases their first year, and then turn it around is a long one. So by no means do you want to give up on Casey Mize or really any young pitcher that's as talented as these two. What is the upside on both of these guys now? Has it changed based on their major league debuts? How do scouts see Scooble and Mize shaking out in the years to come? 
Yeah, and I, I think that we'll probably be saying this a lot throughout this episode, but the 2020 season made it very difficult because of the pandemic. And a lot of scouts agreed with that, that you saw guys who were hitting in these ridiculous streaks in a condensed season, or they were pitching really well in a condensed season. So I think it does fall back to the, the truth behind the term small sample size, because you aren't able to get a grasp of what someone looks like over the, the scope of an entire full season. But while it was shortened, you still got a taste of what they were like against major league hitters. Um, and I think for both of them, it, with my only concern with Mice, again, is wondering if he has enough to really stay closer to the front end. I think you have a near front end guy. I would say for me, he's looking at probably a number three. And the only reason why I would say that is because of those durability concerns that maybe you don't want him as, as high up. Whereas with Scooball, I think you could put Scooball up as a number two. Some people might call that a little bit aggressive, but the amount of scouts who I've spoken with, they said that they could see that as a possibility as well. And with Scooball, really the only question around him is the fact that he did have Tommy John um, back when he was still quite young. But his ability to bounce back and hit triple digits from the left side He's, he's good. He's good. And scouts seem to agree on that. And I think the only thing with mice, he's got plenty of effectiveness, but wondering if that body can hold out for a longer stretch of innings, that really seems to be the bigger question. Yeah, Mize did struggle with his fastball command and kind of just control in general during his debut, but he's been a plus strike thrower really throughout his career. Were there any concerns there? Um, nothing that surfaced immediately, and I should definitely specify, scouts love Mize. They do. I think that they're very excited about what he brings to the table. It's more of a question of, is his pitch mix going to be more effective in shorter stints, or can he stretch himself out to where he's as effective in longer stints? And I think comparing him with Scooball, while the two have their differences, you see more of a proven ability to go a further distance with Scooball than you do with Mize, and it's just a matter of learning how to manage them properly. Again, these are great problems to have. Two very, very good young pitchers. Again, do not worry about the fact that Scooball's ERA was over five and that Mises was nearly seven in their first stints in the major leagues. These are very, very talented players who are pitching in a very, very unique circumstance. Neither of them had any AAA time. It's a huge jump from AA to the majors. They'll be fine. <laughs> I would definitely agree with you on that. Calm down. Things are okay. Just got to give them time. So with that, Matt Manning and Riley Green are two other young players that also get a lot of love. Again, all five of these guys have been top 50 prospects overall in the BA Top 100. All of these guys are seen as potential cornerstones on a playoff caliber team. Was there any debate for Manning and Green higher in the two to three range, or was it pretty clear Scooble advised based off your discussions with evaluators both inside and outside the Tigers organization? I think it was pretty clear cut. Um, the people who I spoke with, they all agreed that this system is a pitching system at the moment. And like we talked about before, you're seeing a lot more focus on position players, but I think as of right now, it's showing how effective the Tigers pitching choices were and how they are proving themselves around the leagues, you know, whether it be Mize's um, shutout in the Eastern League when he made his debut or the 17.4 strikeouts per nine from Scooball when he was in the Eastern League. They're showing that these guys were the right picks. And with guys like Manning and Green, it's not so much a question of how effective they'll be. It's just a matter of 
pacing them out properly in comparison to those older arms. You have both of them as high school picks, which in reality, it gives these guys sometimes more time to properly develop because while they're learning how to adjust as a player, they're also having to learn how to address their developing bodies. Um, a guy like Matt Manning, he's 6'6". That's a lot of arms and legs to figure out how to function. And a guy like Riley Green, it's just more a matter of how do you stretch yourself out from a durability perspective to get used to these long seasons? And with Riley, he got his first taste of it in 2019, jumped across three different levels, played in the Gulf Coast League short season and Class A West Michigan, and did a phenomenal job considering he was still about 18 when this happened. So it's just a matter of helping these younger guys get a feel for what they're capable of and then helping them learn how to do it at the professional level. You mentioned this is a very pitching heavy system. Scooble, Mize, Manning. Now again, history tells us all three of these guys probably will not reach their ceilings. Just pitching is so, so, so volatile. Injuries happen, things go sideways, but the more good arms you have, the better off you'll be in the long run. Riley Green does strike me as someone who could be a true impact player, despite the fact he's number five in his own system. That's more reflection of some of the talented guys ahead of him, as opposed to anything negative about him. You mentioned how quickly he moved after being drafted. I know going into the draft of at least one team that thought he was the best prep player available better than Bobby Witt Jr., better than C.J. Abrams. And some of the things he showed at spring training this year, it seems like there's a lot of excitement about the type of player this guy can be. I would definitely agree with you on that. And I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me is how much he's impacted current professionals. Um, when he made his first appearance at Comerica Park to take some batting practice, he impressed Miguel Cabrera. And if you can impress Miguel Cabrera, you're doing something right. And then getting the chance to um, show off what he was capable of in summer camp, if you will, grabbed more attention. And I think it's seeing what he's done at still such a young age and not being shaken by the fact that he was going up against guys who have been playing this, you know, sometimes longer than he's been alive and seeing some of these, these older players not being rattled by that. He's like, hey, I'm here to play. And I know what I'm capable of. And he's got the right head to handle the pressure, which I think he proved last season in the, the transition of the different levels that he faced. And really the biggest thing for me is how loud of an impact he made so quickly um, with the natural raw power he has at the plate. I personally watched him make some ridiculous catches in the outfield. And this was at the end of the regular season where a guy at that age is probably running on fumes, if we're being honest, because he just kept going and going and going. But that's how Riley plays. Riley is extremely aggressive. He absolutely loves being in the field, and he handled the pressure with flying colors. Yeah, he's one of the players I think is going to be very, very exciting to watch in 2021, assuming we get a full regular minor league season. Emily, this is an incredibly talented top five. We've talked about it. All five of these guys have been in the top 100 for us at BA, and all five of them have legitimate impact player ceilings. Again, history tells us not all of them are going to reach that ceiling. Injuries happen. Development goes sideways. But anytime you have a collection of players like this, you're in really good shape. And it does feel like these five give the Tigers a really, really good base to work with 
as they look to make a move back toward competitiveness 2021, 2022, and hopefully by 2023. I would definitely agree on that. And it's, it's funny too, talking with the people in the Tigers front office, they all say the same thing. This is a really nice problem to have because now you move from who do we play in the infield, who do we play in the outfield to we've got options. Who has the most potential? How do we properly develop and manage these kids that we've been working with? And it's, it's a system that, in my opinion, still has some gaps to fill, if we're going to be real about it. But the direction that they're headed, the progress that they've made, they have given plenty of reasons to be excited. And there's going to be a lot to watch moving forward. Beyond this five, which, correct me if I'm wrong, it was the very clear top five, right? I would agree, yes. Okay. Moving into the 6 to 10 range, Isak Paredes made his major league debut this year. He checked in at number six. Daz Cameron, number eight, also made his major league debut. A couple of other players here who have some draft pedigree from major conferences, but still have to prove themselves in the minors a little bit. How did this group shake out and how interchangeable was it? Yeah, there was a few that I kind of went back and forth on, and it's something where you grow to appreciate the minds that you meet throughout baseball and just getting to hear different perspectives from scouts or front office personnel, or even, you know, our team at Baseball America, you see different things and you understand how valuable player evaluation is because people notice different aspects. They'll pick out different things about a player. And I think some of the ones that were probably probably required a little bit more thought is some of the draft picks because you have the challenge of saying, okay, I haven't actually seen them play at this level yet, but that helps you dive back into where have they come from? What are the proven tools and what is giving us the confidence to believe that this is top 10 talent um, specifically with Dylan Dingler from Ohio state. That's a guy right there who had such a resume coming in, didn't leave you much of an option to not put him in the top 10. And scouts all agreed that he was somebody who had the track record that even though 2020 made it extremely difficult to really gauge them in in-game activity, you could see enough of a skill set there to be able to dream on and to build on. And for a couple of the other guys, it was, it was a little bit of a challenge. There was a couple that just missed the top 10 cut that made the, the lower part of the list. But it's, again, a good problem to have. And I think the Tigers should have plenty of reasons to be excited. So with that, how many of these guys were definitively in the top 10 and who were the guys that were kind of the last ends, if you will? Um, yeah, I would say the ones that I really sort of had to give some extra thought to, um, probably a guy like Daniel Cabrera, who um, was part of the 2020 class, very proven track record, but not as flashy if you will, as a guy like Torkelson, um, where I think there's enough to really dream on, but kind of it it was it it took a little bit of waffling to say but is there enough there to make him top 10 talent and after speaking with um some scouts asking around the league about some different things there was enough there to have the confidence to make sure um and then the other one that is still a bit of a question mark is alex faedo who i put in at number 10 um somebody who came out of the college scene at florida so highly touted but just ran into some challenges, Um, struggled to get his pitch mix to adapt to minor league hitting, struggled with giving up home runs, 
And really his entire mix overall just lost a lot of that bite that it had while he was still in college. Um, but once he was able to get through, he had some back issues um, during the regular season. Once he was able to get through there, you could see a little bit more of a sense of how to properly mix things, um, how to properly pace himself. And something that I think is really important for people to know, not everybody adapts at the same pace. I know that's a broken record statement, but some of these guys just take longer. And I think in Fiedo, you have a very valuable relief piece. I just don't personally think that there's enough there to make him a solid rotation piece at this point. What is it that makes you say you think he's probably a reliever at the end of the day? To me, I think that there are some questions about his durability because of the delivery um, that has come up with scouts to where they question the way that he pitches. He's very much a, a Max Scherzer style, which any pitching coach will tell you, don't try to pitch like Max Scherzer on purpose because Max Scherzer is the only one who can do it. <laughs> so that, that specifically is something where scouts are a little bit concerned about how his body will hold up. He's also very tall. I want to say he's about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, There's a lot of body there to work with. He's already struggled with some back issues. He's had surgery, I believe, on both of his knees, if I remember correctly. And there, there's concern there. And so I think knowing the fact that he's starting to get a bit more of, of the, the ferocity back in his pitch mix, I think there's enough there for him to work in a shorter stint. I just don't see it being effective enough to be able to hold a rotation spot. Health is a big part of that, as you mentioned. Uh, he's had some previous concerns this year. He tested positive for COVID-19 in July. After that, he was shut down with a forearm strain in late August after a brief stint at the alternate site. So again, he's done some good things. He rebounded from kind of a mysterious velocity drop in his first season to finish third in the Eastern League in strikeouts in 2019. So We've seen some swing and miss stuff there, and now we'll just see what his health looks like moving forward. Emily, how many other guys were in the mix here in the top 10? Um, a couple that immediately come to mind. Someone who I've been a big fan of since he came, well, actually, since before he came to the Tigers, um, is Joey Wentz, who really made a name for himself with the Brave system before he was traded over. And the unfortunate side of that is the fact that he ran up against surgery this year um, to deal with, uh, with I believe it was Tommy John, um, if I remember correctly. It was. And yes, and with him, I think there is enough of a question about how effective his stuff is to where scouts seem to kind of go back and forth on does he have enough to, to stick in the rotation or will he move to a relief role? Um, so I wasn't able to find a strong answer across the board. It seemed a little bit split. Some could see him doing one, some could see him doing the other. But I think a lot of that comes now from how well will he rebound because his stuff really took off in the last, I would say, about year or two, um, really started to take off. And it, scouts love him. They do. I didn't hear any major critical concerns. It's just more a matter of how will he rebound in this rehab stint and what's that going to make his role look like moving forward? Um, and then a second one is Gage Workman, who is a former teammate of Spencer Torkelson. Um, so the, the Tigers definitely taking advantage of that Arizona State class and who they had to offer. And one of my favorite comments from a scout about Gage Workman was very, very much a sneaky 
all-star talent where they said you may not see it right away with him but it's something that he's going to sneak out and surprise a lot of people with what he's capable of so again not as big of a name right out of the gate as Torkelson but I think there's an incredible resume there and I'm excited to see what the Tigers do with that. Yeah, it was interesting. Arizona State was a very popular destination for scouts this year. You had Spencer Torkelson, but you also had Alika Williams. And I remember talking to a couple of evaluators and they said, you know, do not sleep on Gage Workman. He's very, very young for a college junior. This was his Mm -hmm. age 20 season. He had a big year as a sophomore. He kind of got overshadowed by what Torkelson could do at the plate and what Alika Williams could do with the glove. But you're right. It was interesting how much it kept getting brought up to me unprompted. Hey, do not sleep on this guy. Yeah, that's and that's very similar to what Scout said with me too, is that you've got a real talent engaged Workman. And something that I admire about Workman's view on the fact that Torkelson took off in such a strong way is that Workman acknowledged why he was getting so much attention. And he also praised Torkelson for the ways that he would sort of help him learn, you know, the flow of how to handle transitioning into a professional career and here Torkelson is brand new himself and he's already offering advice to Gage on how to handle everything that's that's a quality back and forth relationship right there and those are the types of guys that challenge each other and help each other grow and develop properly so I think the Tigers have really did a great job overall with the entire class but specifically with the picks that they took out of Arizona State. Emily, you mentioned at the top of the show that there are still some holes that Tigers need to fill in this system to get back to being a competitive major league team. What are those holes? I think in the next draft class, like you mentioned, they will have access to some higher round picks. What they need specifically is to get some guys who are not going to require a lot of time. Um, With the position that they're in in the rebuild right now, they're at a place where they really need to start showing that this rebuild is working. And I think if you continue to focus on the younger players, while it could show to be a good move further down the road to move into becoming a competitive organization, again, you've got to be able to have guys who have the proven track record specifically at the college level. They've seen more higher end talent. They've had more higher end competition. You've got to be able to move these guys quick. And the challenge with getting high school picks they take longer to groom. They provide more, more challenges in the way of waiting to see if their bodies develop and so on and so forth. But really to move forward, you've got to fill the gaps in your lineup. You've really got to strengthen your infield. I think there's still a bit that the Tigers need to sharpen in the infield specifically and be able to show that they can consistently hit because you've got to be able to, to strengthen that again. Losing the impact bats that you had before, there's holes to fill, and I think the Tigers are well aware of that. Yeah, I think if you map this out, you have Spencer Torkelson at first base, you have Willie Castro at one of the middle infield spots, but you've got to figure out the other middle infield spot. You've got to figure out third base. Jimer Candelario, maybe he becomes your DH long-term, but there's no question there are some infield holes to fill. And you mentioned that the Tigers are a team you want to start seeing turn upward. They finished in last place in the AL Central three of the last four years. It's not like this year and last year was the first time this has happened. And really they finished last in the AL Central four times in the last six seasons. Realistically, what is the timeline we're looking at for the Tigers? Put the playoffs aside for a second, but just get back to having a winning season. And I think it's really going to depend on how aggressively the Tigers work to pursue the free agent market. 
Um, I don't think that they are a team that's been known for doing that in the past. Um, Alavila has generally been a bit more lax in the way that he's approached that. I haven't seen him be extremely aggressive. Um, and I think if you're able to pinpoint some specific talent, it's going to fill those holes more quickly. And it's going to give you a guy who could be around the club for, you know, a good amount of time, depending on their age. And with some of these younger guys, I think it comes down to player development because a lot of them still have not had a lot of exposure beyond double A. We talked about some of the arms that jumped right into making their debuts this year. It was, it wasn't perfect. Um, it wasn't flawless, but I think you could see a taste of what they could accomplish as they get more time under their belt um, and be able to show that they can compete at that level. And I think honestly, and I know Tigers fans are going to yell at me for this, but I think you're looking at probably another two years because of the way that the pandemic really just kind of threw everybody off kilter this year, it's going to take some more time. And I think you've got to give these college guys a chance to get acclimated, sort of learn themselves, and then be able to try and make a, a bid for a starting spot with Detroit in the next, I would say, probably about two years. So still a little bit of time left, but the team really has to show that they're moving in that right direction and they've got to do it pretty quickly. Yeah, and again, I think as we talked about, seeing some of the young guys take steps forward this year in the majors, Candelario, Castro, Victor Reyes, again, showing he can be a nice major league player for a couple of years now. That's a nice first step. Mice and Scooble taking a step in year two. There's a lot of things that still have to happen, but I do feel like at the very least, you can see the rough outline, which all things considered is more promising than things have looked probably in the last two, three years. I would definitely agree. It's... Something that, which any Detroit sports fan can tell you, progress is something. And the city in and of itself across the board has been extremely run dry over the last few years. And for Detroit to really show that they're on that upswing, you've got to have an aggressive approach from the front office. You've got to be able to show that your player development is really taking a turn in the right direction. And you've got to show that you can prep these guys appropriately because at the end of the day, like you mentioned earlier, they're not all going to reach their ceiling. Not everybody is. Baseball is an extremely challenging platform to have a career in or to attempt to have a career in. And so it comes down to the way that these teams equip their players and the way Detroit approaches player development, which I think is on the upswing, but it has to show that it's becoming more effective and it'll show through the way that they handle these college players. You know, you make an interesting point about the city being run dry sports-wise it really has been a pretty lean decade. Well, I shouldn't say lean decade. Obviously, the Tigers were excellent at the start of the decade. But you look at Detroit as a whole, again, the Pistons have made the playoffs twice since 2009. As a hockey fan, it is still extremely weird to me seeing the Detroit Red Wings be bottom feeders in the NHL. The Tigers have had a few rough years. The Lions are the Lions, as always. It does feel like there's a lot of hopes resting here on the Tigers completing this rebuild, not just for them, but for the Detroit sports scene as a whole. I would, yes, I would agree. And if Detroit sports fans have not shut off the episode out of pure anger yet, <laughs> I think it's something that really does come down to the effort and the strategy and the planning that's gone into this rebuild. Because realistically, you can almost debate that this got started in about 2016, 2017, because 2017 was when the Tigers made all of those big house cleaning contract moves with Justin Verlander, JD Martinez, Ian Kinsler, you know, to name off the rest. 
it that that was really in my opinion the point where they started to roll this out and say we're ready to make moves we're ready to to show, you know to show that we're going to restructure and make an attempt to become a competitive organization again but that was 2017 and now we're pushing 2021 and it has to start to change. I think whether you're a part of the fan base, whether you're in the front office, whether you're from the outside looking in, this is the time where Alavila and the, the front office, they have to show that this is going to start to show fruit. Um, just because it's been going on for a while now, you've got to start to show fruit from it to show that it's, it's going to be effective long-term. We're seeing some of it, but there's definitely still some work to be done. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what 2021 holds. Emily, we appreciate your insight. We appreciate you joining us. And again, thank you for all your hard work. And we appreciate everything you have to offer about the Tiger system. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks again, Kyle. All right, everyone. That'll do it for this edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Emily Walden, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.